Uh, okay, so this is kind of funny. Um, the other <laughs> night I had a dream that I was at Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Sam is going to like the story. Uh, yeah, I knew she would. And, well, she actually... In, uh, so I had a dream. I'll decide whether I like yeah, it. Yeah, you 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 <laughs> may or may not actually once we get into it. Uh, but like it was one of those dreams where um, it didn't really look exactly much like Hogwarts, like in the movies or anything uh, from like the inside. But it's like one of those things where like mm-hmm. you know that's where you're at, right? And yeah, um, for some of it, like I'm I was kind of seeing things. <laughs> I feel like that's how all dreams start. It's like I was in this place, but it wasn't the place. And I did this thing with this person, but it wasn't actually that person. Yeah. Right. It's like every dream well, is like that. And like the way it started out, like I'm talking to like Ron and Hermione and it's almost like I'm Harry in a way. But then like mm-hmm. as it went on, like it kind of morphed to where it was just, it was me, Ben, that had gone and was it anyway. So it's kind of crazy like that. But uh, so at one point though in the dream, I am walking through Hogwarts and I run into a group of, I guess they're like new students that are getting ready to start or whatever. And uh, in that group was Josh. <laughs> and I wasn't no, there. No, Sam, you weren't there at all. <laughs> Is that why I'm not going to like this? That's why I'm thinking you might not be too fond of it. You didn't make the cut. Yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. She's uh, a muggle. No, I refuse. Or what is it, a squib? Yeah, yeah if your parents are wizards. There's yeah. no way that you're a wizard and I'm not a wizard, Josh. Oh, no, really? I uh, mean, which? Well, <laughs> in my dream, Josh was definitely getting in and you were nowhere to be found. So. <laughs> oh. I'm going to go cry now. Uh, But here's the great part. So Josh had not yet gone to the sorting hat. And so I was kind of asking him, like, hey, so what are you hoping for? So what do you think the Josh in my dream said? Josh in your (laughs) dream said Slytherin. Nope. Oh. Well, what would make sense is me saying Ravenclaw. That's what you said. (laughs) (laughs) That's like, yeah, I'm kind of hoping for Ravenclaw or maybe Gryffindor. (laughs) But yeah, no, Josh would hope for Ravenclaw or maybe Slytherin. Yeah, actually, (laughs) no, you might not have said anything about Gryffindor. Maybe I said something about being myself in Gryffindor. But yeah, anyway, I know for sure you definitely said like your first choice was totally Ravenclaw. And I was like, yeah. And I, that's very I remember after waking up thinking, oh, that's so Josh. <laughs> <laughs> so fun fact, we're actually in the middle of watching the seventh movie right oh, now. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We like just paused it to record. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, that's hilarious. Yeah. So th- uh, very good timing. So what uh, what house would you be in? Yeah, I don't. Uh, Hufflepuff, obviously. <laughs> really? No. <laughs> I, 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 don't, don't I feel so. like that's not true. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I'd probably, I'd probably lean some Ravenclaw, but I'd say either that or probably Gryffindor. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. Slytherin would be fun just to mess with people. <laughs> <laughs> so basically anything but Hufflepuff, really. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's. A lot of people's outlook. Poor Hufflepuffs. Uh, Right? I don't know. I Yeah. I probably just similar boat with you. Like Ravenclaw, I'd say. Uh, And then probably secondary Gryffindor. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. What do you think, Sam? Um, I aspire to be Hermione. (laughs) I want to be the really smart Gryffindor. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. One of my friends from school the other day, I told her that, and she was like, I think that would fit you. I think you'd be that. And I was like, 
That's like the best compliment I've ever gotten. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I'm trying to think of somebody I know who would be like, oh, that's a for sure Hufflepuff. And this friend of mine is a Hufflepuff for sure. Yeah. Who told me this? Jill from school. Yeah. She's a Hufflepuff. She's definitely a Hufflepuff. Maybe I just don't have a lot of friends that fit that demographic very well. Yeah, they have, Hufflepuffs probably don't like you. It, probably so. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, probably so. Because <laughs> I think, okay, if I were going to decide what you are, Ben, I think that you're probably Ravenclaw, but you've got a bit of Slytherin in you. Yeah, so and yeah. Hufflepuffs so are not, not going thing. to like the Slytherin. Ah. So. Yeah, why do you say I've I got a bit of problem. Slytherin going on? What do you think there? Uh, <laughs> I think... Uh, I don't know. I think it's that aspect of you that said it'd be kind of fun just to mess with people. Oh, yeah. yeah. You have a very ornery, slightly, uh, I don't know. It's not just ornery, though. It's, it's like, like uh, I don't know how to explain Conniving. It. Yeah. See, I think my siblings would probably definitely be like, oh, he's totally Slytherin. <laughs> <laughs> Having been a best friend of your younger sibling, <laughs> I'm thinking yeah, Slytherin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I could see it. Uh I don't know. I don't find it. Some people would find that maybe offensive. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Which probably says something about the fact that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't find yeah. it offensive, you probably are a Slytherin. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I would say that's my secondary would be Slytherin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I but I mean, you know, I don't know. I was going to say something about uh, some great people came out of Slytherin. So. Yep. That's true. Anyway, without spoiling for those that maybe (laughs) who still at this point have no idea about the story and may be possibly interested. Yeah. (laughs) And if you are that person, you're probably not still listening. So that's true. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We've been talking about Harry Potter for a while. Yeah. uh, With no explanation to what we're talking about. Uh, (laughs) That's true. This whole intro is like, yeah. What is this Ravenclaw thing? It's like, it's like a, what is a Hufflepuff? Right. It's like one long inside joke. Oh yeah. You're totally Ravenclaw. Yeah. People who haven't read the book or watched the movies are like, this has all been over their heads. So six minutes into the podcast, six and a half. And you're like, I have no idea what they've talked about this whole time. Yeah, that's fine. Fortunately, it's an Google inside it. joke where quiz. lots and lots of people are inside. That's so. true. Okay, so uh, I figured we'd go ahead and just continue our discussion from last episode uh, where we were talking about uh, gender. <clears throat> and we mentioned the letter to the editor at the New York Times by uh, N.T. Wright. And I don't remember, honestly, what all we said about that, but I'm just going to read this and then we'll talk about it. I know we did mention it a little bit in the last episode, but we'll continue that discussion and see what else we have to say. Josh has a hard time sometimes saying the word discussion. It frequently is discussion. <laughs> and it's my favorite about. thing. <laughs> <laughs> so funny story about me not being able to say things. Uh, <laughs> so remember when we, uh, so we had the Don't Be Stupid conference and for the conference, we recorded a few videos. Oh my goodness. And you, Ben, were there for most of those. Yes, I was there. And it was was quite a bit of fun. Were the videos? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, We had uh, Colton Seifert uh, and Caleb Clark, a couple friends of ours uh, that recorded those. And it was was a lot of fun making them. And then once we got done with the section where you were in the video... We uh, recorded one more that was a basically an ad for the book, just announcing that it 
writing the book, that kind of thing. Yeah, it was basically Josh trying to recite two paragraphs worth of text yes. on video. And it did not go well. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a minute long video. <laughs> it took us a good I swear 20, it was two 30, hours. No, it was a long time. It was a long time. Josh, My problem, you spent 20 minutes. Just trying to say it? Yeah. Yeah, the oh. first... The first sentence the first was se- so we difficult. We spent 20 minutes on the first sentence. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Let's hear it, Josh. So the, the sentence is uh, talking about how I worked at a Mexican restaurant. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I kept on saying Mexican. <laughs> I swear I heard that man say Mexican 35 times. <laughs> I just couldn't say Mexican. It was Mexican, Mexican, Mexican every single time. And for some reason, I just couldn't get the real word out. Oh, it was, it was painful. quite something. Colton's a saint. Mexican. Yes. Mm. Mexican. <laughs> Mexican. Mexican. In a Mexican restaurant. I don't and I know how to say like the word. I've never had a problem. And yeah. he's doing the hand foot fidget uh-huh. thing that he does yeah. because he keeps not being able to say very, it. Yeah. Oh. It was. It's like a it real ridiculous. life. Was it, it was hilarious. Like Vegemita vitamin or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Said I love. Except all he was trying to say was Mexican restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why it was so difficult, but uh, it was. Anyway, N.T. Wright. (laughs) (laughs) Love that man. N.T. Wright uh, on gender. Okay, so he wrote this letter to the editor, and he said, uh, "I was talking about the confusion about gender identity," and uh, he said, "Is the modern and now internet fueled form of the ancient." philosophy of Gnosticism. And so that's his main claim, that uh, the confusion about gender is a form of Gnosticism. And he goes on and says, the Gnostic, one who, in quotes, knows, has, has discovered the secret of who I really am behind the deceptive outward appearance. This involves denying the goodness or even the ultimate reality of the natural world. Nature, however, tends to strike back, with the likely victims, in this case, being vulnerable and impressionable youngsters who, as confused adults, will pay the price for their elders' fashionable fantasies. So basically what he's saying is that this confusion about uh, gender and uh, not being able to figure out how we should go about it is a form of Gnosticism, which Gnosticism is the belief that spiritual reality or uh, at least non-physical reality is most important. And you gain salvation by acquiring this piece of knowledge. And somebody who knows has that spiritual knowledge is the one who's able to get ahead in life and gain salvation. Yeah, that it's... It reminds me of um, Platonism, the one when he... His philosophical idea that you have like the... What is that called? The matter and form. Yeah, the form of something, like the perfect, let's say you have a chair, it's the perfect chair. The form of a chair is just this concept that doesn't really exist in the real world. And the physical world is just an imitation of that. And therefore, the physical world is not good. Uh, And it's not, because it's only an imitation of the perfect thing. Okay. Which is why... And so whatever you have in your mind that you think about, whatever is non-physical is better than the physical world. Yeah, which is why Plato uh, did not like art. He considered art um, just a, I guess, lower... uh, An imitation of an imitation. Yep, because it was an imitation of an imitation. Okay. Uh, Because the physical world is the the imitation of the spiritual world and art is just an imitation of the physical Mm. world. So it's so far removed that it can't actually be good. Yeah, it doesn't have any value. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. 
No. So not quite the same idea, but Gnosticism is similar to that. Yeah, I think it comes from that. Yeah. It, Gnosticism just is just more a, revolves around a spiritual concept. Yes. And it was very prevalent in New Testament times, uh, which is why Paul, uh, in his letters, so often emphasized the physical resurrection of Jesus. Uh, like yeah. in 1 Corinthians 15, he talked about if Christ did not actually rise, if he did not die and rise, then our faith is in vain. Mm-hmm. Because there were lots of people, lots of Gnostics, right. who were saying that Jesus' resurrection was a spiritual resurrection. He didn't actually, like, his physical body rise from the dead. Because to them, that didn't even matter. It was kind of, uh, I don't know, off-putting in the first place that God would become man. Right. Um, but it's a concept that's central to Christianity that God became man, became this physical being like us and died and rose again because that physical reality is something that is really important to God. And he created us to be like that. And he came down into the physical world and made it good, mm-hmm. did it in order to save us. And so denying the the goodness of the physical world is a very Gnostic idea and is very anti-Christian. I don't know. Christianity just values, the Bible values the physical world. And the point that N.T. Wright is making there is that in this gender discussion, we keep on getting confused because we're valuing what a person thinks they know about themselves over the way their body actually is. Yeah. Valuing ideas over the physical world. Yeah. They... Physical reality. Yeah. They feel like they've come to this knowledge about themselves that the their body disagrees with. But if we value the physical world and our bodies, then we will check that against what we think we know. Okay. So, <laughs> any thoughts on that, Ben? You just nailed it on the head right there. So, uh, that's the least Ben has talked. Yeah. Maybe ever. Yeah, I'm, I was just waiting for him to say I'm something. I'm just taking yeah. it in. That's all. Okay. I'm, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting kind of how in, it's like you say, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. um, it's something that humanity has kind of gone back and forth with. I mean, it's taken on a different name um, recently, but I got, I don't know. I agree with NT, right? It, it seems like the same old concept, just in a new form that, um mm-hmm the physical is pretty much irrelevant, whatever I want or desire. Um, I think it's probably a mixture of a few different philosophical concepts that are coming together. Um, like postmodernism, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. it, it is kind of all part of that, but, um, yeah, the same old Gnostic concept, like you mentioned that, uh, the spiritual yeah. world, um, and the physical world or, you know, that in, in fact, even that, yeah, that, um, flesh is bad. Um, and, and I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things where uh, even the Gnostics started to creep in on Christianity in, in ways where, because we see that even sometimes in how the apostles wrote, um, how in some, in some ways they use similar terminology about talking about the, the, uh, our sinful nature, our humanity. Um, but as you mentioned, all, it's also very clear that the overall Christian message is that, you know, there will be a, a bodily resurrection. Uh, that Christ was raised bodily, and in the in the end, um, humans are whole when they're body and spirit. So, mm-hmm. um, anyhow, 
yeah, I don't know. I think I think Wright's onto something with it. Um, and it was kind of eye-opening because I hadn't really thought about it in that way until he presented mm-hmm. it that way. Um, I hadn't either. And then I heard that and I was like, oh my goodness, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's interesting on the issue of kind of gender dysphoria how both sides pretty much agree like there's a problem. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, and one side says the problem, the mind is right or the non-physical part yeah. of you has it correct and your body's wrong. And then the other yeah. side is saying the mind, you know, and it's interesting how when it comes to most issues, um, we say, oh, the physical world just is what it is. <laughs> and like if your mind disagrees with that, then, then there's probably a problem with how you're processing that mentally. But when it comes to like mm-hmm. this particular issue – that's a really offensive thing to say. And yeah, uh, I, I don't, that's interesting to me. Um, so I don't know. So what's the best solution? Like, okay, obviously there's a problem, the mind and the body, like there's, there's a non-compatibility here. And I guess that's what the, Mm -hmm. when it comes down to the disagreement is what's the best solution for these, for individuals who experience gender dysphoria, is it to help them experience life in the gender that they seem to identify with on a spiritual, mental level, non-physical level, however you want to term you, whatever terminology you want to use there, or, you know, I don't know. Cause well, that's the other part of the thing is we're really, we don't have a ton of, we don't have a ton of data points yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't think the concept's entirely new as far as people experiencing gender dysphoria but it's certainly new in in the acceptance culturally and so and it's new that we would have the means to do like full sex change right you know operations and hormone therapy and yeah that too yeah sex reassignment surgery and yeah x i mean not brand new but relatively right yeah and access mm-hmm. to yeah different hormone blockers and stuff um certainly didn't exist and and obviously like a big secondary issue is you know like how do we start dealing with children you know, cause pre, you know, pre puberty right. and, and all those things play into it. Um, but I think, I don't know, we're at a tough point just because it's hard to say all oh, the data is conclusive this way or that. Yeah. Um, that's true. But I think to Wright's point, regardless of what science says, it's like, there's a philosophical issue at large that has to be addressed as well. It seems, it seems on a practical level that, Treating it like a psychological problem, which it is, it seems to, I don't know, it seems to be more practical to try to address it like that through therapy rather than tra- trying to change the physical body. Because it's a major operation and I don't know, it just seems more, I'm trying to think of the term, um, in technology when you're fixing devices, uh, like working at the Apple store uh, when they were going when they got a phone in and they were trying to figure out, you know, troubleshoot it, figure out what was wrong, try to fix it. The fixes that they would start with were the ones that were the least destructive. Uh, the ones yeah. that would cause the least problems um, if they didn't actually fix it. So rather yeah. than um, completely wiping the phone and restarting what they would start with, even though that would probably fix the problem most of the time, they would start with something smaller like um, uh, resetting the network settings on the phone. Because uh, that's a pain and you have to go retype in your Wi-Fi password, but it's not like you have to start fresh <laughs> on a new phone. And so I think that this is a similar deal. I think that... Um, the cost-benefit analysis. Yes. I think that the body change 
is more like wiping the phone or giving you a completely different device. Yeah, because what mental, if that doesn't fix it? <laughs> yeah, if that doesn't fix it, you have a bigger well, problem. Well, and there is some data on that that seems, I don't know, and maybe you can read on both sides. Still, again, limited data sets, but it does... I think you could probably, like, probably, if that's what you're looking for, you could probably find data on both that's sides. That's true. Yeah. At least, like I know issues. that there are some <laughs> doctors who have the personal opinion that they wouldn't do those surgeries because they have seen people go through the surgery and then nothing is better. Like their mental state is not better. Right. Yeah. Um, I guess I would say there's at least some evidence that there says, are people who have a different experience too. So. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. at least some evidence that says, yeah, that sex reassignment surgery didn't really improve. Like it had a short term positive impact for them mentally, right. but then long term it didn't really, it wasn't a real good solution. So it's like such a radical change you know, essentially, you know, uh, mutilating someone's body. Um, like if if it doesn't really have a good positive, you know, I don't know. Like why take the risk? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, you have to look at the risk-benefit analysis there. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the same way like even extreme plastic surgery, you know, there comes a point where it's like you're only harming the person by continuing to go to those links. So um, anyway, I th- I don't know. I, and that's where this is tough. But like I said, from a philosophical standpoint, I, I lean more into Wright's camp there where it seems like, because you almost got to wonder, like, let's say even the, you got to wonder somebody's happiness is really the best possible solution. Like if that's the, t- the ultimate end game or not, um, you know, so there's, there's another philosophical question that comes into play is like, let's say mm-hmm. we say, like yes, it would make somebody happier to live out their life in the gender that they're that they seem to identify with. Um, but is that necessarily even what's the best thing for them? You know, is maximizing happiness the best ultimate goal? Um, obviously, as Christians, it doesn't seem that that's the ethic that Jesus. But has as found. Americans, strongly, everybody would say <laughs> right. <yes. laughs> well, and that's thing like we've even seen that play out in the issue of like marriage and divorce. Um, you know, people say until mm-hmm. death do us part, but it's almost like the vow ought to end with until unhappiness does us part because people say, well, like how often do you hear like the excuse for divorce of, well, we were just no longer happy together. <laughs> and like, yeah, happy, if happiness is your ultimate goal, then yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Move on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough one, but I think that N.T. Wright's point and um, I think our point here is that our culture tends to jump straight to Let's go with whatever the mental state is and what a person wants. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. When we really need to consider the fact that bodies matter, the physical reality matters, and we need to seriously take that into account in whatever decisions mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, whatever decisions we make. Yeah. I'm curious whether so when I first heard about Platonism and his whole theory and how much it is um, really shaped the mindset of Western culture, um, then you start to notice it everywhere. Like if you think about it, if you're aware of the whole idea of forms and like, um, ideas being more important than the physical world, then you start to notice it everywhere. Um, so I wonder if, for example, the idea of like, I am a soul and I have a body, like that's a really cheesy thing that Christians say, but it's, I think it's a thing that most Americans actually think Christian Mm -hmm. or not. And I wonder if that contributes also to like people's um, like being out of shape and not taking care of their bodies and that kind of thing. 
because we we don't feel like yeah. this is me. We feel like oh, it's just a thing that I have. Yeah. Uh, side note on that: that quote is often attributed to C.S. Lewis. He did not say that ever. <laughs> he did not. Don't. Yeah. No. I think that you can even see it that whole concept in um, like the way that we value different professions. If you mm-hmm. are working with the physical world, it's not generally respected. Like if you are an artist or a construction worker, or if your job revolves around the physical world, we feel like it's not as important or it's not as prestigious as if you do something that works with the philosophical world, like ideas, like being a lawyer mm-hmm. or a doctor to some extent. I mean, being yeah. a doctor has a lot of physical things that you have to do too, but it's a lot of ideas. And that's why pe- people respect it because of the intelligence, intellectual side. Yeah. And in the Christian world, pastors and missionaries mm-hmm. are often higher, I guess, more yeah. highly valued. Because it's the spiritual world rather than something yeah. that you're doing in the physical world. Or even just we appreciate architects more than construction workers. Like even that simple of a yeah. thing. Yeah. That's a good point. That's interesting. It affects everything. And so it's, it's when something is that pervasive of an idea, it's really good to know about it mm-hmm. um, so that you can recognize it when you encounter it and realize that that's, you know what, that's something that we assume a lot, which is not actually necessarily true. And so we need to reevaluate the way that we're thinking about these things. You can see it too in people's, like, if the only goal for something is for it to be functional rather than to be functional and beautiful. That it's a manifestation of that also mm-hmm. because we think the only goal of this physical product is that it does X, Y, Z job because it's not intrinsically valuable. I just need it to do this thing for me. And so you don't put value on your physical experience of it, what it looks like or what it yeah. feels like or sounds like or whatever that is. The beauty of it. Is a good case study on kind of one particular issue where this idea is pervasive throughout culture. Another area where I've kind of noticed it, it seems lately is how um, like the some of the kind of the body shaming, um, I don't know what you call it, movement or idea. Um, in, in one sense, I think like it comes from a good place. Like we shouldn't just, you know, you know, I don't know, um, insult people for because they don't fit a certain form or model or whatever. And then obviously mm-hmm. we have kind of unrealistic expectations of beauty sometimes uh, or a lot of yeah. times <laughs> because of <laughs> uh, advertisements and obviously the use of technology now where we can make people look, you know, beyond what is normal or natural. Um, but I think we've also bumped up against extremes where it's like um, – we're expected to accept or even promote unhealthy lifestyles, like people who fit into a category where they are overweight for their height and they're at an unhealthy, you know, BMI or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. and then act like, Oh no, that's just okay. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, so that seems, I don't know. It's (laughs) that, that's another area where it just seems like we're looking at people's kind of mental health or whatever. It's like, we can't say anything negative again about the body. And it's like, Oh, this just, it is what it is. So you have to accept it. And if my mind I'm happy and that, what that's all that matters, but it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know, <laughs> kind of good to actually be at a healthy weight where your heart isn't having to overwork and your sh- blood sugar is not <laughs> in a bad place. And yeah, cholesterol and all those other things. So, uh, we often go into this, into the extreme on one side or the other mm-hmm. when it's like, yes, it's, 
you know, we, we shouldn't shame people for being overweight or anything like that. We should still love them. But I mean, yeah, we want people to be healthy and it shouldn't be unhealthiness shouldn't be celebrated. The thing I think is most interesting about this is that it's another example of how Christianity leads people to become more human because Mm. the Bible is very strong about that humans are physical beings and that the act, like the actual physical world is very important. And if we embrace that, if we embrace Christianity, then we become more human. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is why I think another aspect of this, when you're talking about postmodernism, um, as well as Gnosticism leading to this, uh, I think the postmodern idea of finding yourself um, and even relativism, uh, just believing that you determine your own reality and what's mm-hmm. that kind of thing, leads to that idea of it's it's. I have to look inside myself in order to find myself and yeah. who I'm truly supposed to be. When really, I mean, according to scripture and what we find in reality is looking outside of yourself to um, find who you're supposed to be is a uh, better and uh, I guess more wholesome way to become more human. And that's exactly what uh, the sanctification process is within Christianity is becoming more whole, becoming more human, um, becoming more like Christ who also became human uh, is. That's just, that's the whole process. And that's what God wants for us to become more ourselves. Sin uh, and evil in the world uh, causes us to be less human and less ourselves. And so growing in holiness counteracts that and helps us to become more who we're supposed to be. And wouldn't it just make sense that getting to know God better, seeing as he's the one who created humans in the first place would Mm -hmm. (laughs) teach us how to be better at being the thing that we are. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's interesting concept because most people in the world would probably expect for, if you think about Christianity, you think like it's so restrictive and it wants to, you know, I'm not able to do this and I'm not able to do that. And it's not a set, it's just a set of rules or whatever. And it's not, I'm just trying, I'm just a human, you know, I can't follow all those, you know, it it feels like the kind of thing that is trying to restrain you from being a human. If you look at it that way, which is partially Christianity's fault for portraying it that way. Yeah. (laughs) Largely Christianity's fault, the church's fault, but, um, it's really not, it's really Mm -hmm. the opposite. Yeah. When you think about it, uh, in terms of freedom and then you think about like a, uh, machine that was designed for a purpose, that machine is most free when it's performing its function the most efficiently and most, uh, I mean, it's the best. doing it well. Yeah. And if we are designed creatures, then we are most free when we're working within the, uh, framework that we were built to work in. When we're trying to work outside of that, we're not actually free. We're breaking down. We're not functioning the way that we should be. And I mean, it's because we're designed creatures for a purchase purpose uh, designed creatures for a purpose <laughs> and uh when we work within Words that purpose hard. we become more ourselves that's what true freedom is so like um i guess on the other side of this i'll say um i've never i've never had an issue with gender dysphoria um never really had much of an issue maintaining at least somewhat of a healthy body weight um and so, like, 
I think as Christians, obviously it's important to keep a, I don't know, um, an attitude of, um, say, mercy um, and understanding for those that, um, I don't know, struggling with those kind of issues. I'm trying to think how I want to work, word it. But um, I think sometimes we let philis- philosophy get in the way of empathy. And mm-hmm. um, so like most of what we talked about, you know, like, it's- right, starting with the anti-right thing, like, okay, there's this idea within our culture that's affecting how people approach these issues. So that's one aspect that obviously, yeah, we got to address. Um, and it's important, I think, for Christians to identify and talk to that. Um, but then there's the other side, the existential side of it. Of, okay, how do we, you know, on a pastoral level or whatever, a discipleship level, how do we kind of approach um, our friends and neighbors in love and not mm-hmm. just to just look at this as an idea to be addressed or debated. Um, yeah. Cause if we do, if we do that, then we're falling into the same trap. Yeah. <laughs> we're not treating it like it's a, it's a problem in the real world. We're just treating it like an idea. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. So, so again, the balance <laughs> comes into play. Like people still have these problems, like they're trying to deal with. And, um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. It's almost like uh, it's interesting because, like, on other issues, we've seen things kind of move the other direction, like depression, like chronic depression or whatever. Um, we thought of almost entirely as like a non-physical issue, you know. Uh, but now that we understand kind of how you know, like chemical imbalances in the brain and things like that work, like we've got medication things that can help with that, and so we treat it. I mean, there's still obviously therapy and things like that that can help, but we're also treating it at a physical level too. Um, so it's funny how we, like, that's a relatively new concept, I think, for a lot of people. Um, yeah, that mental disease is a disease. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It is a new concept and it's a difficult one and it's hard for even doctors to handle. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It kind of, well, this kind of reminded me um, of a podcast I listened to somewhat recently. Um, some, I don't know, I, without trying to go into too much of the detail, I'm getting off on the rabbit trail of it, but basically the, the concept of being how much of our decisions are we really in control of? Um, and, uh, one of the guys being interviewed, um, one of the doctors, or I think it was a psychologist talked about how, you know, like with depression, um, we think people or, you know, just kind of get up and get going, get yourself out of it was kind of the thought or the approach. And, uh, for people with, um, like dyslexia, we just thought they were stupid or lazy students because they just couldn't read or whatever. And with all these things, as we learn more, we realize, you know, like they really weren't in control of it. And like, he's, he, I don't know, his proposition from that was maybe as time continues to go and we better understand the human mind and how the brain works and emotions and different things like that, we'll find that people actually have very little to no control over almost all the decisions they make, basically just strict determinism. Now he admitted like he does not live his life or actually the way he perceives a lot of things is not really that deterministic, but so he's like, I really, you know, (laughs) I realize I'm somewhat hypocritical in how I live my life and and my expectations for people around me and all those sorts of things. But on the other side of it, he's like, as a scientist, it certainly seems like, this is the trajectory that we're going that really like, do people have control over any of the decisions they make at all? I don't think that somebody who's an, who's a 
mental health like expert or whatever, I don't think that ultimately most of them would say you don't have any control over your decisions. They would say you don't have a control over what you're experiencing. So if I am depressed, I don't have control over that. I can't just change that. I can't change the way that I feel or the way that I'm experiencing the world, but I can decide or not decide to harm myself. And that is ultimately a choice that I have control over. It might be very difficult to make some choices because of the experience that your brain is feeding you. Yeah. But ultimately you have the choice. Same for like uh, substance abuse. A lot of, there is a genetic component to substance abuse. There's a lot of um, things about how you're raised that can affect whether you're predisposed to substance abuse and that sort of thing. Um, so it can be extremely difficult to make a good choice in that situation based on what cards you're dealt and what your brain is feeding you. But ultimately you are choosing what thing you do with yourself. Yeah. You know, what, what physical action you take. Yeah. I haven't given up on personal responsibility, but (laughs) um, (laughs) it it was an interesting (laughs) thought though, that how there's been, it's like there are, there have been a number of things as we've better understood Learn, learn to better understand people where it's like, oh, like we don't, we wouldn't punish somebody for being dyslexic because we realize like yes. they, they have no, yes. the fact that they can't read is not, it's not a choice of theirs, you know, or have a difficulty reading, I should say. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's very true. And once again, a thing that's really hard for doctors to <laughs> embrace. Yeah. Um, and society as a whole has, a, so within doctors and, mo- I mean, Okay, so I obviously am coming at this from a biased perspective being in medical school, right? But I just feel like um, doctors spend a lot of time treating patients for things that they don't have any choice in. And so whenever you are treating a patient who has a mental disorder where there is some amount of your own decisions that are contributing to that, it's really, really frustrating for doctors. So they tend to have a very hard time treating, um, for example, alcoholism as a disease rather than you made this stupid decision and now I have to clean up your mess and there are other people who need this help that didn't make a decision to get themselves here, right? So so I get that perspective. Doctors have a really hard time treating mental, um, mental health disorders as a disease. Society as a whole does a little bit of that, but we do that really badly for overweight people. Uh-huh. Like if somebody is overweight and they have some sort of health outcome from that that is really devastating. Americans and probably most of the people in the West just don't feel empathy for that person very sure. well. Yeah. They're just like, well, why did you do you shouldn't have done that to yourself, you know? Right. Or you see somebody who has like really bad joints who is rolling around on one of those scooter things, but they're also very overweight. Like you just assume the worst about that person. Yeah. Right. And that they're just like a, you, you, people just think like that they're not even worth as much as the next person. Like they're just a gross person, mm-hmm. not even assuming that they don't have good self-control, which might not even be the case. Right. But we assume that we know their whole life story and what they're like. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, well, in a lot of ways where sometimes we project our own personal experiences onto them. So we think like, oh, mm-hmm. like, what would I have to do to get to that weight? You know, and, yeah. And for exactly. some people, like I'm not very careful about what I eat. Like you said, I'm I'm definitely overweight for my height, but like not at a crazy level. You know, 
But I know a lot of mm-hmm. other people who to even get close to where I'm at, like would have to be super strict about their diet, exercise very regularly, all sorts of things, things that I don't yeah. do, you know? Yeah. So because you're lucky and I'm the same way because I'm lucky and I don't see the negative results of my bad choices when it comes to my health. I'm just like, Oh, pass judgment on the next person who looks differently than I do, but is maybe making a lot better decisions than I am. Mm-hmm. I don't know how we got on this rabbit trail, well, but it's a thing that I've been thinking about recently. The way that we, we tend to, if people have particular things wrong with them, and this is outside of the healthcare field also, we blame them for it. But if somebody has a different thing wrong with them, we empathize, empathize with them. Why is that? Why don't we just treat everybody like they're a human being <laughs> and <laughs> empathize with them, even if maybe some of their choices contributed to the That's situation right. they're in? Empathy is just not something we're good at. No yeah. matter what Obviously the, I'm perfect. No, yeah, <laughs> no matter what the topic we're humans just are, are not very good at thinking from another person's perspective mm-hmm. um, and understanding, I don't know where they're coming from. It's, or just realizing that maybe I would be in the exact same situation if I hadn't been dealt a better card, a better hand of cards. Like I make stupid decisions and my stupid decisions have just not had the same repercussions as somebody else's. We just, we judge other people's sins more strongly than ours. Right. Own. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, I think it all plays in just cause like what we're talking about from the beginning of, of the ideas within culture of narcissism, things like that. But coming back around to the other end of it, it's like, um, yeah, how are we going to judge and deal with people, you know? Um, and I, I agree, yeah, empathy is just difficult for us for whatever reason. We judge ourselves by our intentions, but we tend to judge everyone else by their actions. And mm-hmm. um, it's a tough hurdle. I don't know. I deal with it all the time. <laughs> I'm critical by nature and skeptical. <laughs> so, like... <laughs> I just I don't have to, I don't deal with that. I no. don't deal with that at all. That's not you you must be a terrible person, Ben. You're that's <laughs> right. you're, you're horrible. <laughs> that big guy, he's just got a bad heart. He's obviously well oh. you you, obviously you already slithering. said I was probably slithering. Clearly <laughs> slithering. Right. So <laughs> yeah, you're just you an evil know. person. <laughs> Actually, if that's the way we're you guys are both terrible people then and I'm just on this podcast with a couple of Yeah. That's why you're here to balance it out a little bit. Uh, that's funny you were gonna say something about that like in the middle of our banter there you were looking at me and saying something do you remember what it was um oh i was just teasing you about being the exact same way as ben oh yeah (laughs) Yeah. skeptical and critical cynical yeah yeah i don't although i i mean i judge (laughs) I judge other people. He judges himself more harshly. Yeah, I think I do judge myself more harshly. You think? <laughs> okay, I judge myself more harshly. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I could be overconfident for sure. <laughs> <laughs> kind of the, the opposite. <laughs> that's where we differ, Ben. Yep. Yeah. Which, well, that's, uh, and that's one thing too, I guess guys tend to do that in general more than women kind of back on some of the gender difference things. Um, cause like that was one of the, th- I think that's, well, I say that was one of the things that Google kind of found out when they were looking at, um, some of their trying to do better as far as, uh, 
gender role, I don't know, different genders in different roles within their company. Um, and one of the things they found is like, guys, like if there's a posting for a position they'd like to have, whether they meet the qualifications or not, if they want it, they'll apply. Women, on the other hand, <laughs> they may meet all the qualifications, but if they're not pretty much positive, they're going to get the job. Most of the women were unlikely to apply at all, even though like they would have loved for them to apply and would have loved to hire them for this new position. They were just like, eh, mm-hmm. they didn't tell me it was mine. And I'd rather not get rejected. Whereas the guys are like, I don't care if they reject me. I'm getting my name out there anyway. And some of them going <laughs> yeah. into it thinking, oh, I might actually get this job. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> even though like, again, they maybe weren't even qualified at all. <laughs> yeah. So... That's interesting. I don't know. I think that's definitely true that men overall have more of that overconfidence than women do. Yeah. But I we, do not meet that. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, yeah. And you and I are you the and reverse. Are and here's those. where the, yeah. And here's where the two of you break the gender molds once again. Sam <laughs> 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 is the one that would apply for it. Loud. Decisive. And that's what, yes. see, and that's what's funny. Yes. Cause yeah, Sky and I, in a lot of ways are almost like stereotypical in that. And because we were just talking about that the other night, how she's like, she'll second guess herself or they and like she's she, <laughs> <laughs> Sam does not second guess. Yeah. herself. Nope. Not even when I should, <laughs> which is crazy. Yeah. Because like Sky's like she's smart and attractive, like all the things that you would think like would make her like a super and like she even presents a lot of confidence most of the time, like to others and stuff. And mm-hmm. but at the same time, like she's constantly like she's pretty harsh on herself or whatever. And I'm just like, eh, you know, whatever. Like she said something teasing me and I just laughed. I thought it was funny. And I kind of bantered back with her. And she's like, if you ever said anything like that to me, like I would not forget <laughs> it. I would dwell on it. It would make me sad. <laughs> oh, she's like, how do you not care? I'm like, yeah, overconfidence. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably helpful bringing it out a little bit. Yeah. It's probably true. But one one area I've noticed, so for sure, like Sky loves, like she can go into a crowd of strangers and like hang out and have fun. And me, I'm like, let's not do that. <laughs> Please don't invite me to an event where I know five people out of a hundred. <laughs> mm-hmm. If I know five people, I'm okay. If I know like one or two people out of a big group, I'm like, mm, I think I might not do that. But I could. I'd be fine. I could do it and yeah. everything would be fine. This is where and I might even end up enjoying myself. I would probably enjoy myself. It would just be a little bit exhausting. Yeah. I would not be okay. Yeah, I'm right there with it, Josh. Josh would Josh uh married me because I am his social buffer. Ah, yep. oh, there we go. That's a I mean, that's one big reason. Yeah. It's a really I mean, she's a great social buffer. Yeah. That's the only reason he keeps me. <laughs> <laughs> I need my buffer. Where is my buffer? <laughs> that and my investment for the future. Oh, that's true, too. I mean, okay, all that but, money. <laughs> okay, but that one, like we've said before, I'm pretty sure, quite the long game. Yeah, <laughs> playing the long con here. <laughs> Do you know how much you medical to- school costs if you include... You know, average indebtedness at graduation include in, in addition interest to and everything. undergrad debt and interest and opportunity cost by not having a job for those years. And, and I think that includes uh, four years of undergrad also. Approximately a million dollars. <laughs> and if you are investing the money that you are making for the 12 years minimum that it takes to become a doctor when you could have been working if you didn't go to college. Yeah. It's a lot of money. Approximately a million dollars. So I don't think you're going to get a return on investment. No. 
Not in the long run. <laughs> Not much of one. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, well, still got the social buffer aspect. Yep. That part. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I ride your fun bubble. That's true. Yeah. You totally ride my fun bubble all the time. Where, what was, is that from a blog yeah, post? You know, it's from a book or a something. Book? Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was from somewhere on the internet. I mean, somebody, it could have been a book on the internet. Somebody somewhere was talking about extroverts and introverts and that when an introvert is hanging out with an extrovert, they ride the extrovert's fun bubble, uh, which is uh, true. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I pop Sky's fun bubble, though, like when we're on our way somewhere <laughs> and I'm just thinking of all the things that are going to make this event unpleasant. And she's like. Will you stop it? <laughs> like, <laughs> just don't even come in, you know. Like, uh, that's funny. Yeah, so have to be careful not to pop the fun bubble. <laughs> yeah, it's probably uh, best. Yeah, I'm not as outspoken as you, so I don't tend to do that. Yeah, usually, and here's the True. thing: like the thought of it tends to be worse than like the execution. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. But I don't know. I. Yeah, it's I don't know. I'm like somewhere in that middle because we talked about this like extrovert introvert thing. I'm somewhere in the middle, and it kind of depends, but mm-hmm. on the situation, yeah, and a, a lot depends on how much control I have over the situation. So you know, like if our church hosts an event and I'm you know participating somehow, like in music or something like that, like I'm a little more comfortable in that because I'm in an environment I'm familiar with and I have some control. But like, let's go to this event at this other church, and we're just there to be participants in it and i have no sort of leadership role and i'm like "Uh, please no (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna have to talk to people i don't know (laughs) Uh, small talk is the worst right it's terrible it's a terrible thing yeah and i'm in like i'm in a customer service focused position right now so (laughs) not but the fortunate thing is i spend a lot of time like kind of one-on-one with people and Mm. And it's related to like the work. So like, I know what I'm talking about in relation to what they come to me to talk about. So <laughs> it's not so bad. Yeah. Not so bad. That's not as much. That's not small. No, talk. but I sometimes that's have to go to like those community events where it's like the mixers with just different people from around mm-hmm. and like for the chamber of commerce or whatever. And it's like, ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, uh, that now, now we're right. way off topic. <laughs> yes. So far way. off. I think we finished that one. Yeah. I don't have anything else to say. Okay. Well, do you have anything else to say? No. I, I mean, I, I don't think so. All right. I'm sure I'll think of more things and then we Good can talk job. about them next time. I mean, time. I always have something to say, but. <laughs> That's true. I, I regretted it as soon as the words left my mouth. <laughs> Team Slytherin. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that's it for this episode. So uh, thank you guys for listening and uh, we'll catch you next time. Later. Have a good one.